Alright, welcome to, welcome back to another episode of the Ribbon Book Club. Did you almost say the other podcast name? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I did, I totally and I'm good. To be like, this podcast is haunted with Kate welcome and Welcome to this podcast is about the Dear America series. Right. Um, I am Jen. I'm Kate. And we're doing a show. Um, That's what we're doing? <laughs> so I am psyched about today's stuff. I have so much to say. Yeah. This is the third book in the Dear America series, and it has the most dramatic title yet. Oh! Now, I'm going to be possibly offensive to our Southern listeners, because okay. the character's voice here... Are you going to read it in a Southern accent? The whole time. Oh. Yes. The, the girl character created for this book, her name is Emma Simpson, and she speaks say the, so dramatically. You're going to say the title right of the book? now. That's, okay. that's why I'm preparing okay. people for the terrible Southern accent that I'm going to slip into throughout this. Reading. On a scale of one to Benoit Blanc, <laughs> I'm in a solid eight, which is a Blanche Devereaux. <laughs> when will this cruel war be over? Oh, that's the title. When will this cruel war be over? Granted, she's from Virginia, and I'm sounding a little more Georgia. Well, I mean, who's to say? But, uh, yeah, so it's called When Will This Cruel War Be Over? I kept screwing up and calling it When Will This Cruel World Be Over? Ouch. <laughs> Which you might as well say it's that one. I mean, um, I bet you at the time, this felt like the end of the world. Doesn't it always? Yeah. Um, so this is the Civil War Diary of Emma Simpson. Uh, it takes place in Gordonsville, Virginia in 1864. Uh, the book itself was written by Barry Denenberg, and it was published in 1996. Oh, a great year for me. Yeah? That was the year I got Spice Girls and um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, this was, I think, when when I was just starting to really become aware of culture. Yeah, I was nine years old, and I got to watch Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann version, mm-hmm. and that was it. I had so many posters of Leonardo DiCaprio, I could have wallpapered my room, and it only <laughs> got worse the next year. Did he do... Was that pre or post-Titanic? Pre. Okay. Because I was going to say, I Titanic came out in 97. it in 95. It came out in 96. Okay. Yeah. And then Titanic's 97, 98? Uh, it came... Titanic was released in 97, uh, a year that I will always remember great year yeah i so yeah nine years old ten years old uh i was whew, i spice girls mm-hmm. uh i decided that i was in love with england because of the spice girls yeah and prince william i had a prince william poster. that was back when prince william was hot yeah and now he and looks now? so much like his father and i feel very differently about the monarchy that i used to yeah Ugh. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll get my more. nine-year-old self didn't get it all right, but I'm still pretty pleased with my Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. choices. So I remember obs- reading this. Um, I didn't read it right when it came out because I wasn't that cool, but I do. I remember reading it at some point in my youth. Um, so it was it was interesting to revisit it and kind of like compare <laughs> what I remembered, which is not a lot because I think I only gave it one read. Did. And is there a reason that you only gave it one read? Well, I I, I kind of asked around um, my friends who have also read these books as kids, and it seemed to be kind of universally like, yeah, we read that one, and then it wasn't a, it, it's no one's favorite, and I think we'll see why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, 
Well, uh, it starts off right away with just the good times rolling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, questions, you know, I had going into this was, okay, this takes place in the Civil War in Virginia, you know, uh, 1864. So this is a good amount of time into the war. Um, and my first question is, wh- who is this white girl? Um, where does she live? Because when you're in Virginia during the Civil War as a white person, do you own people? Yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> That's, that was my question going into this. Yeah. I was like, what degree of wrong? Wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, yeah. And she turns in a solid ten out of ten. That's wrongs. solid. Ten. <laughs> yeah, it's spoiler alert. Mm-mm, it's not good. Right. It is, it is hard to read her as a sympathetic character, mm-hmm. um, and also for some reason, I, we find out at the end that Barry Denenberg, who's the first man to write one yeah, of these books, yeah, this is the first male author. I don't. He apparently allegedly he named the character after his own daughter Emma. Mm-hmm. Aww, cute, very cute. However, however, he makes her the most unlikable character. I think, like, bro, do you hate your daughter? Here's my theory, though. I think he tried to make her a likable character. Yikes! And I think that's even worse. Uh, so okay, so let's set the scene here. Uh, this is you know we're in the war. We're at a white girl's house. We're already a little skeptical. Um, but what happens? First sentence, Brother Cole returned home today. Okay. Who's Brother Cole? Don't know. Right. Some sort of minister, I yeah. assume. Because who talks like who that? Who talks like that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe people in the South do. I cannot fully convey the pain that pierced my heart as Nelson and Amos carried his coffin from the cart. So, two sentences in. Yeah. Her brother, brother is dead. Dead brother. That's a new record, I yeah, think. <laughs> like, these books really soak in the suffering. Yeah. Um, actually, I think the second book, which is so far my favorite, uh-huh. um, is a little lighter on that. And yeah. the character had a more realistic childhood relationship with her parents, mm-hmm. etc. I actually had a really interesting thought reading this one, comparing it to the previous one. Uh, this one, page one, Brother Dies. Uh, Abigail's story, the Valley Forge one, page one, her brother is born. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Do, do I think it means anything? No. Um, I don't think these authors conferred with each other as they were writing. <laughs> no, they, I mean, they're published the same was like, year. like, write whatever the hell you want. And so they're probably nope. writing them around the same time. But here's my, okay, here's where, where this is going. I think that this author came out swinging on page one in order to be like, yes, this is a white girl from the South. But... Her brother died. Isn't that sad? <laughs> well, in fairness, and I do want to talk about this, mm-hmm. it is sad. I did yeah. some research about oh. sibling death uh-huh. and its impact on families, and I found some really interesting facts. Um, <sighs> Does so, it suck? <laughs> it's Well, obviously it's no fun for anybody. Um, but there is a psychological impact uh, of sibling death in kids, according to the pediatric nursing association uh five to ten percent of american children even today still experience sibling death um it has strong and ongoing effects on mental health not yeah. only are they not only is it a big deal it remains a big deal for many many years yeah 
Um, it's they conducted a longitudinal study um, based on the youth study of 1979, where they looked at the outcomes, basically, of children who had occasionally experienced sibling death. Um, so it was harder on kids uh, who lost a younger sibling because not only were they younger and mm -hmm. less emotionally capable of dealing with that loss themselves, mm -hmm. but also their parents afterwards are less able to give um, dedication to emotional support. Mm -hmm. So the parents are also struggling. Yeah, um, They are um, less likely to understand the loss, and it is um, kind of a hero role where they feel like they should have done something. Mm. Uh, so anyways, um, in the year 2014, this is an update, uh, 20,000 teenagers or youngers died in the United States. Wow. Disadvantaged kids are more likely to die. Yeah. So we can sit here, just, just pausing for a second and extrapolating this back to our book, we can be sad for Emma. Mm -hmm. But I'm still sadder for her slaves mm -hmm. who have likely already lost sibling death. In fact, uh, according to Ken Burns in episode 1-19-1861... Should we introduce this? Uh, uh, if you don't already know, um, one of the, I would say, seminal pieces of media produced about the Civil War ever, I yes. think, is a documentary series by Ken Burns, a noted documentarian, called The Civil War. Uh, I or Ken Burns' The Civil War. It, it, 1987? Nope, it came out in 1990. 1990 okay. Which was another question I had about this, because this book was published in 1996, and the Ken Burns documentary was... Uh, Definitely you know, available. Was available. Yeah. So I was like, what? What? how are people thinking about the Civil War at this time? Yeah. Because, um, you know, trends in historiography, if you want to use a big word, um, it, which is, you know, basically this, the history of writing history. Yes. How do, how do those trends change over time? What, yeah. what kind of things do we focus on? Um, so yeah, I, I can see that the author is right away trying to help us uh, engage and empathize with our main character, which is good. Yes. Comma. However, <laughs> I think... There, There's not much that's sympathetic there. Well, it will. It, we we just like slowly learn over a period of pages that like oh, there's other things going on. So uh, you know we okay we've made it two sentences into this book. Um, so <laughs> so yeah, her her brother comes home in a coffin. Um, they she says that he was on lookout duty late one evening when a ball from a Yankee sharpshooter's rifle wounded him in the chest. Um, you know, and he was expected to recover, but then he got sick and died. So again, I'm thinking, okay, so he wasn't engaged in battle. He wasn't shooting anyone. You know, this is totally a sympathetic, you know, situ situation. Is it terrible that I did not pick up on that at all? I was just oh. like, yeah, the kid's dead. Oh, I was, I was reading like a hawk because I'm always on the lookout in a situation like this of like, hmm, hmm, what's going on here? <laughs> How do we feel about these people? I admire that very much. Um, it's very much me trying to feel out how, like, red flags and green flags 
So when I'm doing stuff like that, I'm less looking at the content and more looking at the style of voice, mm-hmm. right? Like, how does the character speak? And, mm. like, within three pages of starting this book, I was like, she does not talk like a human being. Interesting. Like, I don't know if this mm-hmm. man who wrote these books writes all female characters as if they're yeah. Blanche Devereaux. So, like, um, he just doesn't have, like, an idea of what children sound like when they talk. Which is a frequent issue for writers. Yes. And, and I think for, it's hard to write kids. For book writers and for, you know, uh, script writers as well. Yeah. Um, and I will say that I think this is his first fictional book. Uh, he, uh, Barry Denenberg, uh, had a background in writing his, like, nonfiction books right. about history. Um, and so I don't know if... Um, I will also say in his favor, and I will see how this plays out when we get to these books, but he did write a couple other books for this series uh, one of which is one of my all-time favorites. Really? So as much as we're going to go really hard on Mr. Denenberg, yeah, Mr. I Denenberg, have to, we promise to come back I on have you. to say that I did really enjoy some of your other writing. So I hope he doesn't listen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Does your daughter talk like this, sir? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe he learned, maybe we'll find out that that other book was also bad. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) While we're briefly discussing, I want to bring us back to historiography for a second. Uh, One of the things that I look for when we're reading these books is what mores and lessons are we trying to import? Like, the purpose of children's literature is to teach children lessons, Mm. right? So giving them a broad sketch of the events of major history in America pretty cool but additionally there is a lot of jesusing in these first three books um and i don't know if everybody was like if why was that a choice in the 90s and i want to remind you that that was the era of like wwjd and mm-hmm. my other theory um uh, yeah i was um thinking about the choices of these topics for these first three books. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense if you're starting out a, a you know, American history series. First one is going to be the Mayflower. Mayflower. Makes sense. Pilgrims, naturally religious. Second one... Although you could have written that book from the perspective of somebody like Hummy, uh-huh. who is not inherently yeah. a religious character. That's interesting. Um, that would have been a really fascinating way to do that. Um, and that's another thing we'll discuss with these. this book in well, particular is, like, why we're framing it specifically from Emma's point of view. Do you think that parents are more likely to invest in a series of books that have Christian themes, overt Christian themes? Well, I think it's... Or parents I don't know that this anyway. is... I don't think this is some kind of secret focus on the family, like, okay. you know, that's supported thing. that's 100% what it feels like I, I think it's... I think it shows... Um, kind of people's baseline understanding of how life used to be in the past. I suppose, yeah. Um, Everybody thinks everybody was a little more religious back then. And in the 90s, religion was also a little bit more baked into culture. I Um, also think it was having a bit of a revivalist moment itself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, and so, okay, so the first book is, you know, The Mayflower. The second book is American Revolution. And you're going to bring in that classic myth of George Washington praying in the woods at Valley Forge, which we have talked about, we know is a myth. Um, And then the third one makes sense to shift to the Civil War. Uh, 
And I think it's, I, I don't, I honestly don't read, maybe it's because I just grew up with kind of Christianity simmering just, just under the surface of everything that I just like don't really pick up on this as like being notably different than like what just the culture of the time is. I think that's probably fair. And when I was a little girl, I probably was right there with you. I tried mm-hmm. so hard to believe in God. I really tried. <laughs> Um, and in the end, it did not stick, and that's mm-hmm. okay for everybody. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and, yeah, so as I'm reading it now, you know, being farther along my journey of yeah. pago atheism. Uh, right, but I, I think it would be quite unusual for a historical fiction book to be about an atheist. <laughs> you know, and not to say that they didn't exist, but I think that's just like not part of our general I suppose that's what I'm saying yeah is that it's that's one of the mores we're trying to keep with our kids mm. that we, that's what these books partially are setting out to do I don't know I if don't it's know necessarily that I don't on know the that it's necessarily like purposeful I think it's just no no I think you know you're making a face what I'm <laughs> wow we're getting, I don't know dog we're getting heated um, I know but we're like listen no just, let me just let, let me so I I think just a lot. The way that I think that it's not purposeful is that I, in the same way that people tend to just assume that whiteness is normal, right? You know, Um, so it would be invisible hallmarks. It would be it's it's it would be them making a significant departure of a choice to to center a different socio like cultural background like people especially in the 90s i think, think we'll about the main character with... of every movie and book is going to be you know a white person a from a christian background Pocahontas came out in 1996 thank you very much okay. well we were just like starting to do stuff like that yes that's um, actually very true but like you have because to Mulan, 1998 yeah 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 um, yeah, starting to center those stories and look for other things. But like, ask I'm... ask yourself like what religion all the other Disney princesses are. Christian. If you guys hear thunder in the background, it's uh, <laughs> weathering here in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think you're wrong. It's just grating to read. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Like it's just a lot. Brother Cole is safe in heaven now. Surely the Lord is with him. He was a good son and gentle brother. Yeah. I fear we shall not see his kind again. Yeah. Again, children don't talk like that. I. I. Okay. It's just a lot. All my argument is is that I don't think that Barry Denenberg is like. How can I convert these children? to the, our Lord no, and Savior, Jesus Christ. not the Christ. argument I'm making. I think... I'm not positing that, that. He is just trying to say, like, this is... Religion was a much bigger part of people's lives in that time. And largely, yes, he's yeah. right. Yeah, even Abraham Lincoln was yeah. constantly talking about yeah. God. And a lot of people were. And Abraham Lincoln. A lot of people... I know. He's my homie. I know. Okay. All right. Wow. That was all page one? <laughs> on page six. I don't know about okay. you. So my goal for us is to cut a little quicker today. So I'm going to keep going until my next post-it note. I tried to have fewer post-it notes this time. Um, I have fewer opinions about let's this just, book. Let's just inter- introduce the situation where where we are. Yes. So we are in. We we are introduced to Emma, who is our main character. She lives, as we find out, on a plantation. Yikes! In rural Virginia, with her mother. Uh, I don't think she has any other siblings at home. No, 
questions. Um, just her and brother Cole. Virginia. Uh, <laughs> her. We find out she mentions vaguely that father's away. And I was like, away where, yeah, Emma? What's he doing, Where Emma? is your father, Emma? Um, and, yeah, it's it's kind of, like, given to us in little nuggets. Um, so, uh, uh, but, yes, we find out that her father's also off fighting in the Confederacy. Um, and she, she mentions vaguely, like, oh, the servants. Oh, Nelson and Amos. She mentions names. I'm like, who are Nelson and Amos, yeah, Emma? She's very casual about who that. Are Iris they? and Dolphy. Yeah. Who, by the way, I expected to be a uh, boy because my very good high school friend, Dolphy, definitely a guy. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, so we find out on page five she uses the uh, historically accurate term Ooh, for I, black know, people. I, do we have to say oh, it? That's, oh, okay, I'm not. Cool. That's why I'm just saying yeah. the historically accurate term. Which we're, So we're not going to say that. Right. It starts um, with an N and it rhymes with hairbows. Figure it out. Yeah. I. It was jarring to read that on the page. I oh, was like, whoa, hey. And it's a lot. It, right. They dance right up to that word all the yeah. time. Once once they start, they just don't stop. It's like Pringles. I, um, <laughs> please don't lessen Pringles. Yeah. So, yeah, so she's just, like, dropping all these hints. Uh, we meet also Cousin Rachel, who I grow to just despise. Um, oh, she improved for me. Oh, really? I had planned to like her at the beginning, and I liked her more She as they craft her into a blue stocking. Oh. Oh, we'll talk. Okay. I, have a, I know I have a post-it about that. Okay. So, yeah, we but, like, at first, all we really know about Cousin Rachel is that she talks a lot. Right. Um, and, and that she's, mother says she is quite the antidote to me. Yes. Blech. Nobody speaks like that. No. Nobody even back then spoke like that. Yeah, and there's also an Aunt Caroline. I don't. Aunt Caroline. Uh, yeah. And she says, she's like talking about like all the good old days because it starts out on Christmas. Right. She's reminiscing about Christmas and how this year father is too sad to do Christmas. Father's not home, right? He's mm, father. Or does he come Even home? father, who usually tolerated no variation of his arduous daily duties, considered Christmas a special time. Yeah, this is in the past. Oh, all right. Well, regardless, he's bummed out and... He's, well... He's not there. He's off fighting their glorious so, cause. Uh, yeah. But then she says on the bottom of page 7, 1863 was the most dismal year of my life. And I wrote, and yet I'm struggling to feel any sympathy. So... <laughs> because she's just like, this is... Okay, I had, I had some thoughts. I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. You know, maybe we're in for a nuanced look at... Nope. What Southern life was like during the war. And what we are immediately treated to is, oh, poor me. Woe is me. Life used to be so much better before the war when we were just off living our life on our plantation. And all of our enslaved people that we own, you know, were so happy to serve us and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's giving uh, Gone with the Wind. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly the energy I got from this. Uh-huh. A less boy-crazy Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah. Right? Like, otherwise, basically the same character. Some of the dresses that they describe even remind me yes. of things that Scarlett O'Hara wore. Mm-hmm. And yet, this was my this is my other beef with this book. Is that we have so many. <laughs> we're going to, like, we're break gonna, it out. We're going to find where Barry Dendenberg is and just nail, like, a 95 theses I to his door. could. Um, because, What's about Mother Trucker? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you got a problem with truckers? No. Jen, they are the lakes of this nation. <sighs> Jesus. 
I feel unhinged today. Okay. Um, this is a pro-union podcast. We anyway. are pro-union. Um, so in thinking again, still trying to discern why, my big question was why this story? You know, why are we yeah, telling... why would we elevate this story? Why are we telling this story? You know, okay, you want to talk about the Civil War. Where, okay, but you want to talk it from a girl's perspective. So you can't talk about soldiers. Okay, that's out. Yeah. Although you could arguably tell a story of a girl who went into fighting the war. That happened. That certainly did. Uh, there's actually a really great... It is a fictionalized account of a nonfiction event called mm-hmm. Widow of the South. Mm-hmm. And it's about a woman. She was white... Uh, she had she owned other human beings, mm-hmm. uh, but she did keep her household together, and her household eventually became a hospital uh, because one of the battles was basically fought in her backyard. What a great oh. way to talk about soldiers so, and talk about yeah, like that was one of my ideas. Was right? like it, well, okay, so you you want to talk about the Civil War? You want to be like close to the action yes. without being a soldier? Okay, so you're you so you put it in the south. Okay, I understand. Most of the war was fought in the south. Yeah, that makes sense. Mind you, it did have a thousand mile front, which I recently learned. Did you know they were fighting in New Mexico? I no, yeah, yeah. There were civil war battles in New Mexico. Wild. Um, yeah. Yes. So it just I understand the the instinct to put it in the south, um, but it didn't have to be right. a rich white girl, right? It just, it comes off as very, like, you should feel sorry for her because her brother died. It's like, yeah, but she's, you're her family She literally owns other human beings at a time where they already knew that was bad. Yeah. Right? Like, we can't be like, oh, people just thought differently back then. Eh, No, they didn't. They had a whole war about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, she's wiling the way between Christmas and New Year, just reminiscing about how good life used to be. Yeah. And she ends the the entry on uh, January 1st saying, my fervent prayer is that 1864 will be a happier year, although I do not see anything on the horizon that would support this hope. So that quote, I think, is riffed off of the Civil War, the documentary, which, like you said, was available. Uh-huh. Um, the... They read. Are you talking a, about? Are you talking about? Are you talking about the Diary of Mary Chestnut? Oh my God! I love the Diary of Mary Chestnut. Okay, but me, she's not the one who gave that okay. quote. It was George something Templeton. George Templeton Strong. That's the one. <laughs> so, for for all you, uh, for those of you who are not Ken Burns heads like we are, uh, and haven't seen all nine hours of the of Ken Burns' The Civil War, uh, I watched it twice. You watched it twice. Well, I needed to take notes the second. No, time. No, I love that. Um, I've been watching it. Uh, on the sly at work. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we gotta publish these. Uh, editor, take these. Take no, that no, out. no, 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 no. Um, while I while I'm doing like boring data entry work, oh, it's fine. Okay, so they can't um, stop you. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they have it's it's very well done. He got a bunch of primary sources. One of which is a real diary by a Southern woman named Mary Chestnut, which and I she has opinions. She has opinions. I low key kind of like her. Um, Same. Uh, but and but he also even uh, though she is Southern aristocracy. Oh, she's terrible. But yeah. you know you got to. Come... She sees a lot of things, and she does call crap when she sees. Do it. we want to get into Mary Chestnut? Could because we please talk I briefly? printed out <gasps> the introduction to. Chef. So I look at you I, with your pages. I have um, an actual published copy of the Diary of Mary Chestnut. Sick. I ha- I left it at home though because oh. I. W- forgot to bring That's it today. Right. But, I had to eat dinner, so. But I looked 
I looked up um, and I found the introduction to it uh, that was written by the people where who she says it. my objective days are no over. this is oh, lovely she's a great writer she actually um, is but this was written by the folks who like compiled it for publication cool. um but uh just like reading this and and having experienced you know the the quotes that are brought up in the documentary series which are you know there's so many different quotes from so many different characters and so you really get attached to these different real historical figures mary yes. chestnut is one george templeton strong somebody elijah Rhodes. hunt Rhodes, yeah <laughs> sam um, watkins uh i stole myself from my master oh, that's uh, frederick, frederick douglas. douglas there we go so yeah like that's i mean i think that speaks to the power of primary sources yes. uh to doing history and diaries and letters uh, because you really can follow individuals like uh journeys through these really big historical events mary chestnut it was the forrest gump of the confederacy uh she's everywhere uh, it's true. Yeah, so she she wrote, she kept this diary the entire way through. Um, and she just, like, is there to see everything. Here, I, I, I highlighted. Um, she, she was in Charleston when the convention was uh, to pass. Holy moly, that was so loud. Oh, spooky. I got chill. I know. Yeah. The thunder rolls thunder. and the lightning strikes. Anyways, Mary Chestnut. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we so, can't afford that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she she begins writing in Charleston, and she's there when they pass the ordinance of se- se- secession. Fun word to say. Yeah. Uh, for those of our young listeners, secession is the decision to leave the United States. Yeah. Secede uh, which from the Union means to quit being part of the country. Started... Yeah, should we talk about the causes of the Civil War? Oh, God, there's so many. <laughs> I know. Um, so, yeah, just basically to sum up, uh, the American Revolution happens. We decide to become a country, but we're a bunch of different states who have different economies and ways of doing things. The South has enslaved people. The North benefits economically, but uh, yes. quickly outlaws slavery in, in the North. Um, and so we have this kind of tentative, you know, compromise of like, okay, we're going to have slavery down south, but not up north. Um, However, but that gets tough when Western expansion happens. As new states come into the Union, they had the decision, effectively, to decide whether to be a slave state or a free state. Mm-hmm. And the different factions, mm-hmm. the north versus the south, each were afraid of the new states adding to the power of the opposites. Yeah, because yeah, we're all talking about power balance within, like, Congress. Yes. Um, and voting and, like, who? how are we going to decide economic policies and trade right. tariffs and all this does stuff? Does a slave count as a person? Exactly. Or, so, I'm sorry, does an enslaved person, forgive me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we mean well. There's going to be some flip-flopping, but yeah. we, we very much value and appreciate the personhood of all people. Um so when people want to talk about, you know, oh, the Civil War was over states' rights, they're not Oof. all the way wrong. They're wrong enough. They're wrong enough in that it's a misguided way of hiding the moral causes Can of I it. Can I tell you what I think it truly is based in? That is based in Southern people being ashamed that their family are traitors. I'm That's glad what that you, talk, you brought this up because I've been taking 
notes about why why we're obsessed with the confederacy <laughs> as yeah. a society um so yeah so so like the south basically got anxious about the expansion or not of, of slavery into western states and they thought that the north was getting too much power it is uh, important which, to note side note they were story. yeah the north did have a lot a great deal of power mostly because mm-hmm. they had the most people yeah the, uh, there were huge population centers and more people pouring into the yeah. country through the ports at Ellis Island mm-hmm. and making homes in places like New York City and yeah. Philadelphia. So the North had a huge population boom. And Urbanization, that, um, immigration, yes. industrialization. You made it sound so slick. Good. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so the North is getting really populated. They're having all these technological advancements. They have all this... Um, all these factories. So their economy is also like way bigger than Huge the Southern booming. economy. Yeah. Um, and so the South is getting really anxious that the North is going to just basically muscle them out of power. Yep. Um, n- not for, un- you know, founded reasons. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly wrong. The North was going to do that. Um, and However, the North financially benefited a great deal oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from the labor from the unpaid labor of enslaved mm-hmm. human beings yeah as well. so all these um cotton mills up in massachusetts and where York, all that cotton yeah. is coming from the south absolutely and it's bales cheap and bales because of slavery um so yeah so the south decides to secede from the union because they're saying hey you guys aren't respecting our power anymore you're gonna slowly outlaw slavery you're making so us it do was we don't want to do it was about their right as states to dictate whether or not they have slavery yeah that, <laughs> anytime somebody brings it up well it's a war about states rights states rights to do what yeah to do what make them say the quiet part out loud and you can you can hear it exactly from the source as well. Yes, uh, yes. You can hear quotes from the day saying we all want to, and they also enshrined the existence of slavery in the Confederate Constitution. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, this is all to say uh, <laughs> Mary Chestnut was there. <laughs> right. And Mary Chestnut's really cool. And then uh, she's also there when uh, Jefferson Davis is inaugurated as president. Yeah. She's also there watching from a she rooftop to see the firing on Fort Sumter, which are the first shots fired in the Civil War. She is. Uh, yeah. She sees it all. <laughs> and then she's also like really close friends with. All the, like, wives of, you know, Jefferson Davis and all the like, important, like, generals and stuff. She's, like, right there with them, like, knitting, you know. Arguably the only person who had a more yeah. front and center seat yeah. uh, was Wilmer McLean. Wilmer McLean Who's was this? the farmer who lived near Manassas. <gasps> oh! Okay, and yeah. the first battle... Uh, the first battle where it was human-on-human contact, not mm-hmm. not including the firing of Fort Sumter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Wilmer McLean, the war started in his backyard, yeah. and it progressed in his backyard. And he was like, you know what? To heck with this. I'm moving. Yeah. To and Appomattox. To Appomattox. <laughs> where uh, eventually uh, he saw the very ending of the Civil War. So the Civil War began in his backyard, and the surrender happened in his front parlor. Yeah. So him and Mary Chestnut, they saw, saw it all. all. Um, but I was thinking about, like, this idea of Mary Chestnut being, you know, like, seeing all this stuff and, and, and like, knitting with the ladies about, you know, supporting the war. And I was thinking about Emma as a character and, like, listening and watching this documentary 
And I was like, why are we so obsessed with this kind of tragic tale of these Southern women who are just like doing all they can for their men? And it reminded me of in the Valley Forge book, when Abigail is going to talk to Martha Washington, and Martha Washington is doing all she can to, like, you know, serve, you know, provide for the poor soldiers. And so, what I think it is is we as Americans love an underdog. We love this romantic idea of of this scrappy, you know, rebellious army that is fighting for their freedom. Um, and I think the Confederacy really sees themselves as the mirror image of the American Revolution patriots. And so in that sense, the Union would be taking the place of the British soldiers. They're the established standing army that is well-fed, well-paid. You know, there's a lot of them. Um, and they're coming in and they're on foreign soil. And <laughs> so there's a I lot think of... that's fair. I don't think it's true or accurate, but I think that's how a lot of people want to see it. Yeah, I can live with that. Um, I also think a great deal of romance in the form of fashion and mm -hmm. in the form of, you know, making things beautiful, beautiful architecture. You don't have as much of that yeah. in gritty, grubby New York City. Mm -hmm. So... The romance of the South in of its the plantation, exactly. grand big houses. And, yeah, I yeah. think I think they invite more imagination than mm -hmm. a tenement house. Well, and the South is in those plantations. It's a lot more aristocratic. Yes, it's it's genteel. It's all these yes. you know polite society manners. Um, yeah, and they're still taking this like kind of underdog you know stance of like oh we're we're just fighting for our freedoms like right okay, they but... i mean they didn't have anything but state militias which are mm -hmm. effectively what we would call the national guard mm -hmm. um until um oh i made a note hang on <laughs> anyway uh i can't find my note but effectively the south had to drum up mm -hmm. um, a militia and turn it into a standing army. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, because they were at such a disadvantage, so many people thought this would be a 90-day war. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. In fact, one person, possibly John C. Calhoun, uh, said that it would be a 90-day war and he would wipe up any blood spilled with his own oh. handkerchief. <gasps> which... Oh my gosh. Such okay. a great line, right? Such a great line. And it's it's this story is told in the documentary by one of my all time faves, uh historians. Shelby Foot. Shelby Foot. <laughs> it's just Again, forgive us our terrible accents. Fantastic. Okay, just listen to him, though. Right. This whole docu-series is on PBS for anyone who is interested. Also, uh, if you don't have a PBS passport, it is well worth the money you'd put into it. It's five bucks. If, yeah, yeah, it's nothing. It's the cheapest wanna, yeah. streaming service. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's a lot to say about the causes about of the... So, I think... Um, I was as I was wondering why why this why this story. Um, I was reading the like about the author at the back and you know about why Barry Denberg chose to write this story. And he was like, oh, he did a lot of research, including reading primary sources. And I was like, I wonder if he read the Diary of Mary Chestnut and was like, oh, that's perfect. We'll just do that. Um, at least Mary Chestnut got around and did stuff during the war. That's okay. That's the other thing is like. 
Mary Chestnut sees a lot of stuff, and he easily could have just like taken that, and that's like what Abigail's doing in in the Winter of Red Snow yes, is that she's much. Go, she's showing up to headquarters, and she's like seeing things, she's meeting people, she's understanding. So the scope far, of what's we've happening. we've read the the first half of this book. Emma does nope. not leave her house. Right, not ever. She's as bad as I am. She reminisces about leaving her house, but she doesn't actually do it. Right, and also on top of that. Uh, Mr. Denenberg is kind of a scarce on actual details about what home life is like. Right. She just kind of <laughs> wordlessly moves from room to room. She's just kind of like, oh, remember when we used to wear pretty dresses? Yes. Yes. Just like repeat ad nauseum. <laughs> anyway. That's... Or like, I, yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I'm making a lot of um, I do have a couple facts before we get further into tearing this book to shreds. Um, I did write down some interesting Civil War facts. Mm. Um, I, I liked these. These, of course, come from the Ken Burns documentary. I just pulled them. <laughs> Basically, instead of reading this book, just watch Ken Burns. <laughs> Listen, it's not a bad idea. Yes. Yeah. Actually, regardless, yes. Yeah. This book is Highly fresh. recommend. Yeah. Yeah, Ken Burns documentary, great. So here's some of the facts that I pulled because I just thought they were great. Um, so two percent of the population died in this war, uh-huh. uh, which is actually oh, we're going to talk about. numbers. It's yeah, it's, right. Just yeah, yeah, in raw numbers, it's a big deal. Oh. There were thirty-one million people who were Americans before the Civil War started. Okay, um, one in every seven Americans at that point in time belonged to somebody else, wow. belonged to another human being. One Ooh. in seven. That's so many. Thank you, yes. Numerically, that is also a big deal. What One of the things that we're seeing is that in the depopulated South, which uh-huh. is rural aggregate, yeah. uh, they relied on large forces of enslaved humans, and there is a constant threat of that population, that body rising up against mm-hmm, the white masters. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get as much of that in this book so far. No. Um, I think I think we'll see some of it eventually. Can um, I can I read what's on the on in the first entry that made me just go what <laughs> uh, on the condition that you use a horrific accent the whole way through? Yes, um, yeah. So this is Sunday, January third. Um, you know, it's just like oh, it's cold. It has been difficult without father. Father and mother always had their responsibilities strictly defined. Oh, yeah, I know unless this. mother required his assistance with the more troublesome historical word for a black person. Right. Father saw to the farm and the field work, while mother saw to the house. So she's like describing like, well, of course, men do the outside uh, enforcing of slavery, and the women do the inside. Of and it's like, okay, so not only do you have these like, you know, very strictly enforced patriarchal gender norms, but you also have like, and to also, you know. Uh, rule over our people that we own. Yep. Um, and but then, um, and then uh, on the next page, our historical term for a black person: bless them, mind mother, as they always have. You know, since father is gone, fighting the great cause of the war, um, and have uh, as they always have. And I cannot think of one instance in which they have not helped in every way. Still, I think they, I think they miss father's understanding but firm guiding hand doesn't it make you want to die oh my god this is when i was like okay this is irredeemable this this is (laughs) and yikes and here's the thing i think uh, someone could push back and say 
Well, it would be horribly inaccurate and kind of a huge disservice if we were going to have this character somehow be like an abolitionist or like not racist, you know? <laughs> like, to, can you imagine how arguably worse it would be if this like rich white girl who lives on a, on a plantation her whole life is like, I think what we're doing is is bad but we're still you know just like how could you reconcile like kind of she's the daughter of quakers wokeifying her, her <laughs> if you her will dad died <laughs> alongside john brown yeah and yeah mom caught typhus. but i just wouldn't buy that you know and it's like if you're At gonna least it would be easier to stomach than this because this is a lot right i think it's it's finding that line of accuracy versus palatability to a modern audience yep and well, um, to be fair, we are not the intended audience, right? Like, yes, we are. Though I was the intended audience, oh, okay. well, <laughs> and I read this. Yes, but we're not talking to ten-year-old Jen, right? But that's what I think is the issue. Is because right, he I was talking to ten. He was Jen. talking to ten-year-old me, and I was reading this, and I was not as well versed in critical analysis of, of literature as I am now. And yep. so I was reading this, and I was like, well, "All right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. No critical this thought. is how we. This is why we have such a problem believing in the in the problematic history of our nation because we have stuff like this. That's like, well, we treated them nice. We have you know history textbooks Ugh. that are taught to children in schools that say, well, we provided them with free housing and and food Literally, and clothing. That's real. That's yeah. a real textbook page. Yes. And so that is why yep. are we doing this? <laughs> well, I think it's because we're most... white and we have a huge problem with feeling guilt and shame about our own past. Partially. And also population centers in the South have boomed and most South mm -hmm. Southern states do not have teachers unions. Uh, anybody can be a teacher so long as they have a high school well, degree and, in many places. And also, secretly, Texas uh, controls yes. a huge part of the narrative of what is taught in yep. schools. 100%. Anyway, but there, Barry Denenberg is not controlled by the state of Texas. Correct. Allegedly. And so I'm thinking, Although, just like, why do we have to center this voice? <laughs> in this book uh the next book we read spoiler alert will be from the perspective of an enslaved black girl um and i haven't read it yet but i have also already some concerns yeah. uh, <laughs> which we'll cover when we get to that Yikes. um where were we before we got angry uh we were talking about how father is a uh, firm but oh, gentle yes. yeah uh <laughs> It's just like I, I wrote. Is it going to be like this the whole time? <laughs> and it yes, is for it is. Pages it absolutely will be. We made it seventy-three pages into this book. Um, I will also say one thing, another further thing, and this is me just mm. picking now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick at that scab. This book added almost like chapter titles. I was just thinking that with yeah. very dramatic statements. The story takes me far away from my troubles. Are you on the same page? Yeah. Yep. Um, so no Which other are books have done that from the, from the yes. thing. It's... And I hate it. It takes me right out of it being a diary. Mm -hmm. It takes me, it feels edited. It feels scripted. And I yeah. know it is all those things, but come on, give me the illusion. My diary has become a true friend. 
gag me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ooh. she's just like trying to make do at home without her father. She's reading Wuthering Heights with her mother. Which, great um, book. Love all her side chatter sure. about Wuthering Heights. She also, she mentions that she that she was given the book Emma um, for her birthday. So, for my own lovely Emma. Um, fine, whatever. She also right. reads Jane Eyre, and she apparently loves Jane Eyre. Well, she takes herself as a very serious kid. Yes. Right? She's high-minded. Uh, she thinks a lot about herself. I love this excerpt when she's at the ball, and she's talking to other boys who aren't Tally. I actually... Okay, yeah, I was, like, so... I was trying so hard not to just... Just dismiss this entire book. And so we got to this ball... Um, okay, yes. Skipping ahead to, like, page 23. Yep, that's where I am. Um, yes. One boy whose name I cannot quite remember, which is no wonder, boldly introduced himself to me. Like most boys, he seemed to take great pride in misunderstanding everything I said, twisting it this way and that, and politely pointing out precisely where my thinking was in error. We are going to be canceled by the South. I gotta tell you. Boys are still like that. <laughs> okay, that was okay. I, this was what I was like. I was apologies to Danny, who doesn't count. <laughs> we looked Danny straight in the eyes. Yeah, I. My, I wrote. I, I got to give him points for self aware for self aware ma- male author, where he was saying, "Oh, is that what you wrote as men well?" Men suck. Still true. <laughs> men suck. Yeah, yeah. I I did appreciate that he was like, "Yeah, boys are just." He was more. Yeah, he just. Wants to talk at girls. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I do not know what it is about boys that causes them to think this behavior impresses girls, but frankly, it vexes me quite a bit. Meanwhile, then she meets her love interest. And I also want to be like, a love story for a nine-year-old girl audience is not the move. She, this character is 14. Fifth. She's almost 15. Okay. But Tally, the boy, is 18. 18. Yeah, 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 yeah. To Which our young is, listeners. This is not good. Don't do that. If there is an older boy, if there's actually a mathematical equation for this. <laughs> take half, take, double your age, subtract seven. Double your age, subtract seven. Add seven. I gotta do the math on that. Hang on. So this Add. is how to find an appropriate age range for the low end. a love industry. The, the minimum that... <laughs> You're allowed to date. Yes. So let's do a real life. So I'm 32. You're 32. Divided by two. 16 plus, plus seven. seven. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's straight to jail. Yeah, it should be. Uh, that's not correct. Um, hang on. So half your age plus seven. Yeah, I did the math wrong a second. Jen's the most Why educated am I getting person zero? in this world. <laughs> That's not. Hang on, hang on, Literally, hang on, hang on. The four people who we all ate dinner together. You're the only one with an advanced degree. I know. I mean, the rest of us all went to four-year college. Good for us. But like, Jen has a master's, and she is struggling with 57. a calculator. Fifty-seven. All right, so Jen can date men or women. Live your best life. Yeah. Who are between the ages of twenty-three and fifty-seven? It's so good to know. It's good to know. Our character is dating an 18-year-old, and that is inappropriate. Yes. If a high school senior is trying to date a high school freshman, And let me say that this okay. wide age range, age range is only because I am over the age of 25. That's when it becomes... Like, when you are a teenager, 
You do not do that right. rule. You get two years. You <laughs> get the grade ahead of you, your grade, the grade behind you. Yeah, no yeah, more. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can date one anyway. year younger, one year older, or the same age. Yeah. And if an older guy is coming to you and talking about how mature you are, he's a liar. Wrong. Don't trust him. Come to your aunties and let us tell you. Oh, just point the boy out to me. Oh, I'll hit him with my car. Oh, yeah. Don't be messing with the little girls. Just come to your good old Midwest aunties. (laughs) All right. So I am on page 26. Okay. Tally decides to go go off to war. Yeah, we meet Talia Farrow. Talia Farrow. Talia Farrow Mills. That kind of name. He's a boy unlike other boys. He's very serious minded, Um, like our pick me character. Was different from other. Yeah, it literally says is different from. And I was like, this is this is good because we're turning that trope on its head. He's he's the pick me of boys. Uh, He appeared eager to hear my opinions. Honestly, a green flag. But I was like. I need to, I need to, before I get attached to you this boy. You know who else was eager to hear opinions of a younger girl? Oh. The wolf <laughs> in Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. You're right. Yeah, that's not the only, that's not the only sign you should be looking for. Yep. Um, Sorry, I'm just like, I'm specifically speaking to your niece right now. And like, I want her to avoid half the troubles that the rest of our generation Just stay saw. away from boys. Oh my God, they're all the worst. Yeah. And they smell like hamsters. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so we we meet Tally. We reserve judgment because we don't know his politics yet. Um, we also have some more cousin Rachel action. Um, they like they like. I think she's like visiting their house where because she's like in town for this ball. Yeah, and so they drink punch, which if you don't probably know, probably rum punch has alcohol in it. Woo-hoo. And so they have uh, they have a wonderful evening. Um. <laughs> I just wrote. I wrote a note here that I no, it was wrong, bad. Uh, because she's cousins. I just wrote Kels being pals. And it's like no, 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 no. <laughs> In retrospect, should have read that closer. Uh, yeah, but they have a nice little sleepover. I mean, they do. I mean, th- I think that does feel real. Like yeah, you know, talking with your cousins like that, being gal pals with your cousins. Yeah, yeah. And um, so uh, that's nice. And then the next day, or Tally gives her a ring. Which very no. forward um, gives her a ring that's too big or too small. too small. So she wears it on a chain around her neck because she thinks it'll upset her mother if she sees it, which it would. Um, yeah. And then and then we learn that Tally is going off to to war for and, which side though? Oh, for the South. Yep. There you go. Yeah. The next week he left Richmond to join General Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, which I learned about later when he wrote me this letter. Also, writing her a letter, very forward for the time. Yeah. Um, Quite bold. Yeah, so he's like, by the time you receive this letter, I will be joining, I will have joined my Confederate comrades who are fighting to remove the Yankee invaders from our land. The Yankee invaders. Mm-hmm. And then I said, see, this is why we don't get attached. Followed by, I bet Kate is having an even harder time liking this book than I am. I hated this book. I... <laughs> No, when I'm into it, I take a lot of notes. And look at this. I go pages without notes. Oh, Unheard of in see, my note-taking style. I feel like my notes get heavier when I, oh, when I dislike it. Just salty. Like, let me just tell you everything that's wrong. It's exactly everything that's wrong. Um, yeah, no, I can respect that. Um, so, mm. moving forward, because I hate this book and I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> uh Ooh, mom is smugly educating the 
yes. slave children. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about this. Yes, please. Um. So yeah, on the next page, we are we're in January twenty fourth, um, it, and that we learn a little bit about the the educations of their enslaved people that they own. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, mother was feeling. Uh, mother has a fever too, which is <laughs> foreshadowing. She is giving. Do any the, of the moms survive? I guess. Yeah. Stewart. Mrs. Yeah, Stewart lives. yeah, yeah. Both of her parents live. Yeah. Anyway, um, so since mother is sick, she <gasps> asked me to see to it that the weekly classes with the um, black children, uh, <laughs> I just won't say that word. Yep. Um, continue as before her illness. Mother has always seen to the education of her little scholars. Uh, so smart. I know she's. Yeah. God, she's just unbearable. But this brings up a very interesting yes. topic, which is the education of enslaved people. Yeah. Um, How much was allowed? What kind was allowed? Mm-hmm. Because if you're thinking like a terrible person who thinks it's okay to own people, uh, you have to weigh the pros and cons of letting them get too smart. <laughs> because the number one fear in the South, where you are far outnumbered yep. by... Because, again, one in seven United mm-hmm. States citizens at this point in time. Yeah. Their number one fear was revolt. Yep. Um, and that was a thing that happened. Uh, we have Nat Turner's Rebellion, which is a famous slave revolt. Um, and there were other various ones that we don't... I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, educating um, enslaved people is a risk because yep. then they can start organizing. Um, and, Using codes, mm-hmm. writing things down. And to be clear, they can they can the also north. organize without being educated and yep. did. Yep, certainly. Um, but, you know, it's just an added risk of being able to write and However, read. I think it's important to discuss the kind of education that mother is allowing. And that is yes. Bible parable. Yes. You're allowed to learn Bible parables, mm-hmm. but not how to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. So this brings up another um, interesting thing, which I actually learned about in a fascinating book, which is huge. 400-page tome um, called Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. A fascinating book. It's basically the history of racism in America. It starts way back in the 1400s in Europe and describes how how racialized chattel slavery came to be and how it continued into, you know, the civil rights movement and even today. Um, Highly recommend it if you want a thorough understanding of racial dynamics um, in this country. But he pointed out that um, the the Puritan, the, the like the northern settlements, like there was slavery in the north for a long time. Yep. Um, and it was not customary um, in the er, in that part to educate any of their enslaved people because they had a belief that you could not enslave another Christian. So they didn't even want them to be Christian. Um, and somehow that sh- that changed and flip-flopped to the South and where they had this more kind of what we would recognize today as this kind of white man's burden idea of like, we need to evangelize, we need to save everyone, these heathens who don't know, you know, <laughs> the Lord, they need to know, they need to it's hear so the gospel. It's funny to me because... That kind of idea of gospel flies in the face of the actual gospels. Right. Like, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus Christ and the harrowing of hell. Right. That's Which, not how that works. Honestly, like, 
by the, the 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 northern like they kind of had a more i would say biblical understanding of it where you know they or at least an old testament understanding of it where there's very much this idea of like god's chosen people and then everybody else yep um and so slavery is very present <clears throat> slavery is very present in the old testament certainly um and so there's just exodus, this idea the entire book of exodus, exodus and there's uh, you know uh, Babylon uh, and there's all these different cultures that they interact with but it's God's chosen people and then everyone and else. And everyone else can hang. And so that's kind of how that was interpreted is like well we're fine. It's a very insular non-evangelical kind of Christianian faith where it's like you have your community and then it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Very true. And so somehow that switched. Um, anyway, so that's it, this is just to say that this is at this point in time they believed in and saving you know the immortal souls of their enslaved people and and that is kind of how we get this huge tradition of you know black gospel music in yeah. the south um and black church culture is comes Still from huge. this tradition yep. uh, for better or worse <laughs> and post <laughs> so. Post uh, Civil War, a lot of that culture came north. Yes, yeah. So yeah, it's, and then life carries on. Um, it's interesting to me how frequently she discusses, like, oh, there's smallpox in the area yeah. and stuff like that. Like, there's a great deal of fear, but it's not just fear of the battles or the soldiers. We have um, a very short entry that. Uh, provides um, 32. That's uh, the same spread as the smallpox entry, yeah. uh, but it gives us the book title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wrote, yikes, they in all caps. Uh, we hear that more uh, black people have gone off to join the Yankees. God bless <laughs> our enslaved people who remain loyal. Oh when God. will this cruel war be over? Wow, Just... wow, wow, wow. So, yeah, it's... I'm so. I feel like we are just constantly harping on how bad it is, but at the same time, I this book is constantly this book is constantly harping on this right. exact sentiment over and over again. Know, I would love to go through and count how many times this author chooses makes the decision to yeah. use the word that rhymes with hair bows. I am not into it. Yeah. Um, so... Mother gets more sick. Mother gets more sick. Aunt Carolyn and Cousin Rachel are visiting with baby Elizabeth. Yep. Uh, when we get a letter from Tally. Now, I like this. Oh, another this. letter. Okay. Sorry, I'm on Where page 37. Okay. Um, so three months in, Tally, she, he's, she's gotten a letter from Tally, her soldier at the front. Mm. Uh, the letter was dated on Christmas Day, and he seemed disconsolate mm -hmm. um he's done he hates this he's hungry and he's cold and he's miserable um he's dealing with that hurry up and wait nature of the military um and he's seeing he's seeing some people desert or conduct self maimings mm -hmm. like shooting themselves in the finger yeah in order to get out of this war mm -hmm. um so this war is truly a miserable experience for him and he wants to go home uh however you know he's sticking it out for his brethren um 
he he's lost many friends he's feeling depressed um eventually i think we will start questioning who is this war benefiting Ooh, yeah. Right, right around page 69, I recall that being a thing. <laughs> nice. Um, so I think our generation, we were the sort of 9-11 generation. Mm-hmm. Did you, a lot of the guys in your class, as soon as they were legally able to, sign up to be Ooh. soldiers? So, yeah, we had, there was one well-known store, local boy who was my brother's age, who okay. enlisted, like, straight out of high school. Yeah. And Just was one? notable one who was killed in action. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. And so he was brought back and, you know, buried in our local cemetery, which is down the street from where I uh, lived. Yeah, that's very sad. And yeah, it's, so that was like a, a big thing. And I think the reason, you know, you know, him being the same age as my brother, it was like a kind of like, oh, Oh, hey, is, <laughs> you know, this is, yeah. We had a great many people sign up to be soldiers, mm-hmm. but we were 11 or so when September 11th happened. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think, kind of a backlash in my specific, like, era of kids. Oh, we had a bunch. To, like, go off and yeah, yeah, serve yeah. our country. Yeah, uh, for those who are younger and, and aren't millennials um, and might not understand a time before the intense cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gen Z is super cynical. <laughs> um, yeah. There was a brief moment uh, just post 9-11 where the entire country was ha- was legitimately brought together in a fit of patriotism. Yep. Uh, and some of us still have it. And some of us never left. Yep. Some of us, us included, got real jaded real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I am not jaded. I am America's tiger mom. I will yell until it's better. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's that's why I'm mean. I'm I not, I have hope it's going to be better. I want so badly for us to be better. Uh and I'm not like I'm I'm not disillusioned to the point of apathy. Yeah. Um I I I want to do better. I want to see better. Um I, <laughs> I will be so critical. Yes. I will be so critical until this but nation the shapes up. I swear to you, the minute some European comes and talks, oh yeah, be about our European con- down by the yeah, hair. Only we can talk about us. <laughs> you don't even understand. Have you ever been through a school shooting drill? Then shut up, Frenchie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although God bless the French. Okay, yeah, and their incredible protest skills. My point when we yeah. started talking about this mm-hmm. is that. It is not clear whether or not Talia, whatever his name is. Tally. Tally. Um, whether or not he himself or his family have a vested interest in the institution now, of does slavery. He, well, doesn't he say, well, okay, he's like, well, I got to fight off these Yankee invaders. And right. now uh, I can hear some pedantic folks saying, well, did you know that this percentage of the Confederate soldiers didn't even own any people? Oh, thank you for saying that. Please, let, enlighten me. Let me... Let me slide into my pedantics yeah. here for a second. Um, the majority of all the rebel soldiers owned no slaves. Right. So the two real key issues of whether or not to join the Civil War is if you believe that the Union should be held together, all 50 eventual mm-hmm. states, 
uh, if you believe that a country has the right to, or a state has the right to secede, and then also the institution of slavery. Yeah. Because so, I think we should point out that the idea of the United States as one single country was not a given right. and was only really solidified after the Civil War. Yep. Um, before that, uh, many folks thought of it as something like the European Union. They, we called it these United States, not the United States. Yep. Um, so there that was a is quote from Abraham Lincoln, I believe, uh-huh. in the Civil War documentary that said, um, everyone, nope, that's the 90 days war. Anyway, basically that they were a confederation of communities ready to break apart at the first shock or inconvenience. Mm. And I think that was Abraham Lincoln, 1837. So quite a bit before wow. the civil war. I love how many Abraham Lincoln quotes were in that. God, you read. You read. Oh, so tall. <laughs> he, I would climb him like a tree. Stop it. <laughs> I even like his weird nose. You got it. You can't, you can't. <laughs> All right. Anyway, That's enough sin for one day. Mother is very sick. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. All right. So mother has uh, uh, proverbially cough blood into the napkin. Yeah, and so, the on-screen napkin. And I'm sorry. I think we would be treating this with more reverence if this whole book was not the way it is. Well, she, um, she's just so unlikable. I kind of hope... I don't know what happens in the second half of the book, but my God, I hope she becomes an orphan. <laughs> I hope all her dogs die. I hope none of the dogs go to heaven. Okay. I did, I did kind of get to that point later on. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> What'd you write? <laughs> I wrote on the last page that I read. Uh, this is talking about the enslaved people again, of course, because we're back to that. Yep. Uh, I Every said, three pages. I said, I hope they revolt and kill everyone. <laughs> yes. Give us a full Haiti. Um, I do like this line, the dubious luxury of grief wow. on page 48. I thought that was insightful. Um and I, I understand have, wait, that. Wait, like, the full slave. I've tried not to. It, the previous enter, entry, Monday, April 18th, mother died today. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, that's important. Give some context. It. Ten days later, um, on April 28th, I have tried not to indulge myself in the dubious luxury of grief, but mother's leaving has cast a gloomy shroud about the house. So I have to say, even before mom bites it, I think this kid suffered from depression. Absolutely. She has some depressive episodes that, throughout this book. That was my... um. Abiding I should not be memory. Armchair psychiatrist, but what I remember most about this book was just this like aura of depression, and um, I think there's a I think it might come up in the in the second half of the book, but I remember this like one phrase that was like, "I woke up more tired than I was when I laid my head on the pillow" or yeah, something. That's a sign, and I have felt that way like. A, because I'm not a morning person. Uh, and I think that's I mostly... I really like to get Jen up at 8 a.m. to record these episodes. <laughs> yeah. Because I wake up at 4, so let's go. This is terrible. Um, but yeah, it's... made bread by then. My I God, think Jeffrey. I think it is very safe to say that this girl is going through a lot. Yes. Like, she's lost a brother. She's now lost her mother. Her she father's... She lost all normalcy. She's lost all sense of normalcy. Like, we're not... I don't want to say... 
this was something else I was thinking about is how far are we expected to extend our empathy and 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 sympathy for a it's character? It's so hard. I hate it her. It is hard. I hate her. <laughs> I I would have I feel like I would have bullied her in school. I think oh, okay. I would have they didn't that's have not, that's not the kind of thing we really want to promote. But um um I'm not saying you guys should be like old Kate Reed. I'm just saying some girls deserve to be shoved in so, lockers. So but this is what I say like I I'm going to agree only, but <laughs> I can't believe you're agreeing to that. No, I just advocated for schoolyard bullying. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah, Jen. no, no, we're not agreeing. Stop following we're not me agreeing about that. Path. We're not agreeing about that. <laughs> I what don't I, even agree with What you. I was thinking about earlier. Don't hit people, people. Don't hit people. With this whole idea of, of feeling sorry for, for the South and not, and not the can't South as it. a monolith. Just, Right. Just bear with I'm me. With, I'm Just listening. Bear with I swear me. to God. And, you know, I think there, it's it's rampant in this book, but it's also present in, in the docuseries where, you know, you hear all of these firsthand accounts from Mary Chestnut and all that. And, and, and knowing what people still even today in the South feel about General Sherman, who marched to the sea. Um, uh, there's a lot of bad feelings. Oh my god! Um, it's been a hundred and seventy years, you twits. And also, shh, sorry. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm so. I know. I love I'm you. Like Please the, keep going. I'm on, I'm on, but okay. So, I, and I, I, I completely understand your point of view, mm-hmm. which is because it is getting at this question of how much humanity do we extend to an oppressor? Um, because if you think about it in terms of like World War Two, mm-hmm. uh, we're not this nice to the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. It's like, do you... I appreciate you putting that in words that I could hear. How much humanity do we extend to the oppressor? Because on the one hand, I I firmly believe my from my moral perspective, I do not believe in just offhandedly, you know, being mean to people, and. I consider myself to be a generally kind person. Although, if you cross mostly one of my friends, I will cut you. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I know that if I ever needed somebody to yell someone down for me, yeah. I could dispatch you in a heartbeat, and yeah. you would do such an admirable job. Yeah. Whereas I'm not good at yelling at people, but I'll cut you out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I won't. My house is a very cool house, and. <laughs> If you want to be invited to my cool person parties, then you have to be a cool person. Well, it's, yeah, so it's this question of, like, humanity, but it's also, it it also gets to the, what uh, is known as the paradox of tolerance. Um, And this is a concept, uh, again, I think it's easier for us to think about this in terms of Nazis. (laughs) So, so. Things feel a little more black and white Things feel a little bit more black and white when you're, when you're thinking about Oh, that's them. We don't we don't identify with Nazis, so it's easier for us to consider this. I think most Americans can agree. Well, a lot of Americans can agree that like Nazis were bad. You, you know, know what? I think you should be comfortable with the phrase "most." Yeah, we're just getting shouted out by a very yeah. loud minority. Most most would agree that that is bad. Yep. Um, and so uh, the parado- paradox of tolerance says that even folks who wants who want to be open and tolerant of all people and beliefs and stuff, if you tolerate someone 
like a Nazi who is intolerant of an entire group of people, yep. uh, you know, Jewish people existing. You cannot be tolerant of that point of view while still trying to hold, be tolerant of the people that they are trying to oppress. It kind of runs with that same philosophy of stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to eventually pick a side. You, you have, have to. to pick a side. There is no appeasing everyone. Um, and so why would you want to? Have you <laughs> met them? I've met you. And you certainly tried to be. <laughs> I was like, you're one to talk. Well, let me put that. For those of you who don't know me, I am Michigan nice. You got an old streak of the people pleaser running yes. through you. Yes, I do. I have good girl trauma, as I found out from the internet. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. However, like I said, I'll just cut you out of my life. I yeah. will fade to black out of friendship real quick. I, yeah. man, I just cut three people out last night. They posted some, my, well, one person was extremely transphobic, but oh, two I'm gonna. We're gonna mildly, yeah. Okay, so this is all to say that the reason why we are having a hard time treating this character with sympathy, a, a amount of empathy and sympathy. I literally just said I hope she's an orphan by the end of the book. Yeah, that's, that's is oh. Mm. Oops, it wow. was me. Wow. I literally just said I hope she's an orphan by the end of the book. That is not an okay thing to think. Right, like I should not be as comfortable with my like basic violence towards this character, and I do feel kind of bad because she's named after the author's and daughter, and she's a child. Yeah, I give I tend to give children a pass most of, for most uh, for I hope she grows up and learns better. Here's another part <laughs> of the paradox of tolerance: is yeah. that my intolerance of it, yeah, me being like cut him out, dead to me, yeah. It doesn't give them the opportunity to learn or change. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are former it was a Thunder, thunder. <laughs> who are former um, Nazis. Fans. Yeah, honestly, yeah. There yeah. are there are reformed there white are supremacists, reformed white supremacists and Nazis, and they became reformed yeah. because somebody was patient enough mm -hmm. to talk to them and find common ground. And I think that if you have the political position and yeah. actual physical safety to do that, that's very admirable. Yeah. But if you're one of the people who is being physically, violently, politically attacked by mm -hmm. the not-so-nice party, hmm. that you do not owe them mm -hmm. the education. Yeah. But if you have the time... And the inclination. Keep the dialogue the open, yeah. I guess, is the best thing you can do. Yes. Right? However, I'm tired. It, yeah. I don't think anyone should feel like they have to do the emotional labor. Of but it doesn't... If you don't... If if somebody's not willing to try, yeah. you're not giving people a chance to wow, change. Wow, you've really come full circle on this topic. I chase my tail in conversations really and do. arguments How long have we been recording? Has it been three hours? <laughs> Just... Yeah, I kept expecting something to happen. And I, I did, I honestly flipped ahead uh, because I was like, She's, something's got to happen, right. right? Something something happens. Not well, a cousin lot. Cousin Rachel, mother dies. Cousin Rachel and Aunt Caroline are now living yeah, at they move the plantation. In. Yeah. And Cousin Rachel is fully bemoaning leaving her school Cousin behind. Rachel, let's talk about Cousin Rachel yes, a second. Please. Cousin Rachel drives me nuts. So I think that they're trying to redeem her in like sort of a Boston marriage 
uh, what, educated yeah, what did female. Educate because for the first quarter of it, it's basically all we know about cousin Rachel is that she talks a lot and she's obsessed with boys and obsessed yes. with marriage. Yes, and that's and all on page she talks 55, about. Fifty-five. That is still true. Yeah. However, oh, that's right. She does kind of take a turn. She takes a turn. And I was looking for how this happened, and it's not really explained. Right. In, on fifty-five, <laughs> on to fifty-six. Oh, uh, she starts talking about. Wait, can we talk about the letter from her father? Wait, which page? It's on fifty-four. Yes. We could talk about Cousin Rachel, no, no, no. but then Let's we're going to circle back. Rachel, okay. but I, I want to hear the letter from Father because he says the quiet part out loud. He, yeah, this is... This... Yeah. I was like, we can't skip over this. Mm, so we... Father's been absent this whole time. Yep. And and we haven't really heard a whole lot from him. Uh, we know that he's fighting for the Confederacy. Whatever. <laughs> but he's clearly got to be high up, right? Like... Well... He's a plantation owner. He's, he's got to be an owner. officer. The... I believe at this point in time, both the Northern Army and the Southern Army were looking for officers who had any sort of education, like anything past an eighth grade education. They're like, cool, now you're going to be an officer because you have this education. Mm -hmm. Right. Like my friend Phil was going to be a Marine. He got a full ride to Purdue and he was going to leave instead of a private in the Marines. He would have been a sergeant or higher. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil did not do that and eventually um became a serious hippie beatnik who like, questions the government yeah. and like most of the vets i know have taken oh, that's that not turn. the case for me at all most really? of the vets i know are still like very that's true i tend to uh just focus on the ones i like oh okay. um anyway so yeah we get this letter from father may 12th uh <clears throat> this is after a mother dies of course um my dearest daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I could do it. <laughs> I, I am today in possession of a letter from your Aunt Caroline providing me with the sad intelligence that your precious mother is no longer in this world. I am certain that her unexpected and lamentable departure has Who caused you like to this? suffer great sorrow. Did you have you... Uh, they did talk funny back then. I mean, a <laughs> bit, but this is a little dramatic. This is very dramatic. Words of consolation often fail at times like these. I can only say that it is a great comfort to me to know that your dear loving mother will abide in heaven, where <sighs> she will joyously join her precious son in the hollow of his hand. To which I said, are we sure? Are well, we sure? Wouldn't you want to be careful about the hollow of his hand? Isn't there a hole there? Well, this is, we're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the Trinity. This is the Father's. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, God, not lesser God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's all the same. Is that how that works out? It's all the same. Okay. <laughs> Most well, if it's all the same, then he definitely still has the whole All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay. <laughs> Merciful are the ways of the Lord. I urge you to take some consolation in that knowledge. Aunt Caroline has kept me informed of your circumstances, which I know are quite difficult to bear. Such is the way... Yeah, servants. Throughout. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Did Sorry. I did I just glaze over that? No, 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 that was me editorializing. Please forgive me. Yeah, you okay. Such um, as so, so the, the way, blah blah blah. These circumstances have been visited upon us by the abolitionists from the north, who have invaded our land and forced us to respond with all the means at our command. Uh. Please take refuge in knowing, as I do, that our proud confederacy is watched over by a kind of providence and that there will come a time when we will surely return to the life we knew and cherished before the abolitionists chose this blasphemous and brutal course of action. It literally made me so angry. I hated this letter. Yeah. Why, even today... You know, four generations, five generations on. Mm. Even today, the South is totally incapable of accepting any sort of responsibility. Did the North decide to hike off and leave the South <laughs> said, to fend for literally, themselves? Literally, they didn't start the war. Right. <laughs> the literally, South you guys. Did. To quote the great Will Smith, yeah. don't start nothing and there won't be nothing. Yeah. The South. Even, oh, even my homeboy, <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln, mm. uh, was the day that he was elected president, that's when, pretty much when the secession started. Yeah. And three months later, when he actually accepted the role in office and was inaugurated, he spoke in his inaugural address directly to the South. That mm. he said, my dissatisfied countrymen... Yeah. The issue of civil war now lies in your hands. Mm -hmm. And, like, genuinely, it was them. They started this. Yeah. I think they were... No, I'm not even gonna... <laughs> I don't it know. is very it's hard like, to I'm be sure sympathetic to any of these characters. I'm sure there's some kind of feeling of, like, well, we wouldn't have done this if you didn't push us to do that, but that's literally what I, abusers say. Right. I, yes. <laughs> that's like... How dare you make me attack you? Um, and I'm I'm sorry we're we're sounding like dirty Yankees, but we're I, dirty Yankees. I grew this up in Michigan. New York. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is sorry, they, friend. Yeah, there was literally no slavery in the state of Michigan. And and okay, on that note, I will admit that there it's not like the North was all perfect abolitionist angels. Right, right. Uh, there were it's a, actually hugely like. Uh, it not incongruous, inaccurate that mm. they keep referring to the North as abolitionists because yeah. most of the fighting North was not. Yeah, so the North was on the whole like uh, there was a huge con contingency of abolitionists in the North, but there was also uh, largely the goal of the Union Army was to keep the Union together, um, and they uh, eventually Lincoln decided that that the best course of action was to emancipate slaves. But um, that didn't happen. That wasn't the original intent. Correct. And there was a lot of people in the North that didn't want it to be about slavery and yeah. wanted it to just be a fight between white people and, like, just come back to the Union because we want your cheap cotton. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of racists in the North. Yep. And there were riots when uh, they decided that black people were allowed to enlist in the Union Army. Yep. That was um, a huge problem. It, was a, it took years for them Initially, to even... Initially, we were sending, a, like... 
people who had been enslaved mm-hmm. who escaped and made it to the north and said, yeah. I want to fight for freedom, put yeah, me in yeah. the Union Army. Or initially, we rounded those people up and sent them back into And then it was bondage. noted racist General Butler. yeah. Who was like, we're only no, helping the South. We're only helping them. We're going to consider these contraband of yep. war and we're going to keep them. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, roundabout not, abolitionists. Not better. <laughs> not better. Um, yeah, I, we can rage about them as well. Um, here's where Cousin Rachel starts, I think, reading as okay. a blue stocking to me. Can you um, tell me what a blue stocking is? A blue stocking is an know. educated female mm-hmm. in the 1800s. Actually, still today, um, a lot of blue stockings became early. Um, Feminist? Oh my God, the only word that's coming to brain is... Suffragists? Thank you. That's the word I wanted. I was coming up with feminazi. Oh, um, no. Yeah, it's not the same oh, at all. Oh, no. Listen, it's just chaos inside my skull. Um, <laughs> so anyways, Cousin Rachel starts talking about how marriage seems like a bum deal for women. Yeah. And that also, uh, when I brought her breakfast, she told me it was important not to be taken in by them, boys. She um, seems like... You try to talk to her about anything, and she's like, right. So what I was saying about marriage is, <laughs> it's like, people aren't like this. Well, I'm a little like that. <laughs> I mean, everyone has, like, their niche things that they're interested in. But it's like, has, has she ever had a conversation that was about anything other than what she's passionately excited about? I don't, I don't uh, know. So, yes, um, she's bemoaning leaving her school. Um, and we're talking about how difficult it is to get pretty things, flour, salt, things that we need to eat and function. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons the South made the majority of the food at this point in time. However, with all the battles happening in the mm-hmm. South, both Northern armies and Southern armies were scouring fields and taking yeah. resources. This mm-hmm. was something from the last book, which was also about war. Yeah. There's um, a huge issue with resources, uh, which caused a ton of inflation. They talk about, like, a barrel of flour costing, I I, I don't know, way, way too much. Um, and they also had a huge issue with um, supply lines. Like, the North had all their rail systems. Like, this was the age of intact. trains. So they had good um, methods of transporting, you know, People, goods, weapons. Absolutely. They um, could keep their front supplied. The they South, could also allow their front to rest. Yeah, the South didn't have as many rail lines to begin with. And also what they did have were quickly destroyed yep. <laughs> by one of the generals. I don't know. Yeah, which we kind of cackle at. I know. It's, I know. I recognize. We're terrible, but... Uh, Listen, we are descendant of Yankees, and that's what's up, and that is our perspective. And other people may criticize us as we are criticizing Barry Dunenberg. Um, so we get a letter from Tally on June 28th, page 63. Mm-hmm. Um, Tally is really complaining that this has not gone well for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the war is go- going badly. The men are discouraged and tired of seeing things so unspeakable he cannot commit them to paper. Here's my favorite line. Mm. He believes our efforts are futile and curses the politicians who got us into this war. Every single war yeah. is Ultimately, a war between power-hungry politicians who are going to send people poorer than them to suffer on the front. Yeah. Every single war. This is why um, I was asked uh, somewhat recently, like, 
what radicalized you? And I was like, these books. <laughs> because even, all- even reading this, I, you know, like, but with all the other books I read, like, you get this... Uh, one of the overarching themes in this series is about poverty, yes. honestly. And and granted, this is these are rich characters in this book, but um, well, and even Abigail Stewart was reasonably wealthy, yeah. Um, that in that they were land holding and mm-hmm. they had. We haven't really to gotten to a book where they face real poverty yet. It's well, coming. You don't get a whole lot of stories in popular culture about real poverty too, yeah, because it is real depressing. It's, it is hard to watch. Can I say though, and I and I know that I'm not alone in feeling this. Um, so I was obsessed with this book series, um, but there's um you know, a a parallel series that starts very soon that we'll get to about royalty, the Royal Diaries, uh, published by the same people, some of the same authors. And I would kind of switch back and forth between these series. When it got too depressing? When it got too depressing. (laughs) I was like, listen, I've had a lot of poverty stories recently. I need to read about someone for whom money is not an object. Even, like... Even watching middle class life, yeah, it's depressing. It is. It can be. There's a reason why um, there a lot of poor people are <laughs> have a lot of problems. Yeah, and uh, money to a certain degree absolutely can buy happening happiness. In the United States, uh, according to a study in 2005, 2006, somewhere around yeah. the time I graduated, uh, they did a study to decide whether or not a certain level of income will make you exponentially happier. And what they discovered is that there's not a top, but there certainly is a bottom. Mm. People who do not reach about $70,000 per year and are trying to raise a family with that kind of money, if they Mm -hmm. don't have an annual household income of about 70K, they're going to count as impoverished. Their health will suffer. Mental health, physical health, dental health. Um, The access that you need to have enough Mm -hmm. there's a bottom rung but there isn't a top so richer people like kim kardashian is probably no happier than you and i succession is a very great great uh, tv show about how miserable ruby you're not old enough to watch that one babe (laughs) yeah later later (laughs) you know what actually no never i don't need to see think about your niece seeing macaulay mccalkin against a window a kieran mccalkin oh there we go um, B, we don't need to. <laughs> I'm just saying. Stay away from the HBO, kids. You're uh, not old enough. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, but that was a great point, um, and that's something to take to heart, that uh, war is, on the whole, it is... Unhealthy it is, for people and these other are living things. decisions made by a few people mm-hmm. with huge ramifications. Mm-hmm. This war was... Uh, might be the bloodiest war in American history. Well, thus far. Thus far. I mean... It's the only one... I can't imagine... Like, the way oh, war... Did, you just, did I just make you sad? Yeah. Sorry. I think the way in... Uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't speak too soon, because I think there's a trend in in wars and how um, the, the when you combine uh, outdated tactics with... Uh, new technology you tend to get a very bloody affair so we see this in the civil war we also see this in world war one where they're still fighting with trench warfare but they have all these terrible new weapons that uh 
really cause a whole lot of uh, death and misery. And that's about the extent of military war that I, uh, history that I know. Yeah. Because on the whole, I do not care for it. Yeah, no, it's a bummer. <laughs> it's a huge bummer. Speaking of things I do not care for. Yeah. Um, we are visiting people who are home from the war. Yeah. Uh, they're not doing well. Um, no. This is the Broil Boys. Uh, they've still not recovered from their grievous wounds that we... Yeah, so they get earlier. they get uh, wounded in battle. I I don't know. There's so like we've skipped over a few, but I noticed that there was like a few entries where she's just kind of like non sequitur, like oh this person died. And I'm right. like I don't know who this is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even no know who these. At all. Like she mentions these brothers earlier, and I just like cannot. Yeah, I they're don't, just like community kids. I don't know I who think. they are. Neighbors, I guess. Yeah. Um. So she does. I think it's interesting that. At the end of the century, Aunt Caroline placed a small Confederate flag on the dinner table to mark the day. Oh, this, this is, is July Fourth. Yes, yes. This is something for modern listeners that I want them to know. The Confederate flag that you think of when you think about, you know, Dixie and Leonard Skinner and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. That was actually not the flag. Uh, the Confederacy mm-hmm. went through three different flags, and none of them are the flag you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, and there's a great Wikipedia entry on that. I didn't print it out because I thought I it would be boring to read. No, yeah. Um, now we get start. We start talking about enslaved people leaving, and mm. this starts good for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go watch a Star Wars. Go watch a Star Wars. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> no, okay, so uh, yeah, this is uh, July 4th to celebrate hardly the word. I was like, what are you celebrating? You're trying to leave this country. That's right. Really, yeah. right. How dare you? And, yeah. And then we, she placed a small Confederate flag on the day. This was, I wrote the page previous. Like, this is the page where I came back to reading after watching the documentary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is, yeah, this is where I, I take a noticeable. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, so at the next page, you know, there's talk of the enslaved people leaving. Overheard Nelson telling one of the younger ones which way to go when they ran off to join the Yankees. I said, good. Right. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Father believes he requires careful watching. We have always treated Nelson as one of our family. And I said, no, you have not. Yeah, no. (laughs) No, you have not. Jesse, (laughs) yeah. Why don't you ask him if he feels like he's one of the family? (laughs) I do actually have a page on the treatment of slaves in the... Can I, on the treatment of people who were enslaved. Yeah. Do you mind if I go over some quick facts? Not at all. Okay. Um, I wrote down, quote, using force only when called for, page 11, because I found that sentence insufferable. Yeah. Um, so, quote, uprisings were forever fear- feared. There were many actions, this is, end quote, uh, these are my own thoughts, um, actions to prevent uh, uprisings start as soon as the boat leaves Africa, including forced drownings, uh, on board, they would bring people up uh, as they were getting them chained and manacled to one another before they went below decks into steerage. Uh, they would pick a couple of them and murder them at random, either shove them off the boats mm-hmm. um, or shoot them in the head, uh, so that everybody saw the powerful. It's, yeah, violence. it's an act it of like a- yeah, that kind of randomness is like uh, you're anyone's. 
life yeah. everyone's life is in our hands and it's not about like how well you behave it's just there, there's nothing you can do there's exactly. no amount Submit. of power um, and so, and and some did choose to just yep yeah. end their own lives yes. by Dr. jumping Rick stevens does a wonderful presentation about that i believe it is yeah. on youtube um, it's suicide is a form of protest mm-hmm. uh, from chattel slavery. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, also, if you want a great podcast on this topic, the 1619 Project. Cool. Um, just kind of like Stamp from the Beginning kind of starts, you know, very early and then goes into through the whole of American history. and Absolutely. And, yeah. Um, so, uh, these are some quotes from... The Civil War by Ken Burns. Mm. I would rather be dead than be a a word that rhymes with bigger yep. on these big plantations, for then you are nothing better than a dog. Yeah. Slave housing was awful. It promoted communicable disease, uh, including typhoid, TB, cholera, uh, worms, mm-hmm. like having actual pinworms living in your yeah. intestines, um, and dysentery. Less than four out of every 100 enslaved people live to the age of 60. Yeah. Which is like, if you think about it in terms of property, it's just not economic. Like, right. No, not at all. But um, don't forget their purpose wasn't only economic. It was also true. comfort. Yeah. Um, so at the <sighs> auction block, uh, they would be entirely unclothed, um, grabbed, poked, made to dance, um, as exactly as a jockey exams a horse um in fact one of the reasons that they were entirely unclothed was to show how little whipping they needed yeah. mm-hmm. um they were they could be planned they could plan to be sold at least once or twice twice in every life um in fact the wedding verse for, yeah the vows yeah were the changed. vows became until death or distance do you part mm-hmm and of course, um, these would be non-legally binding yes. marriages because they weren't allowed to do that. Right. Well, you can't allow property to marry. My toaster has no ability to marry yeah. my. And they would regularly shower. separate families and Absolutely. children. And I would like to point out, mm-hmm. even though this is perhaps a little outside the ken of our ideal audience. Yeah. The women, the female enslaved people had it worse. Mm. Because in addition to doing backbreaking labor for 14 hours a day, they were also expected to submit Mm -hmm. to any physical touch by a white-faced person. Mary Chestnut discusses this in her diary where Mm. she talks about children of children of White Mixed race men yeah. <laughs> would yeah. would uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, essentially attack it and and unconsentingly you know have children with their enslaved women exactly yeah. and then those children would mm-hmm. also get sold yeah they these men knew that these children were their children yeah. they gave them no name yeah and they would sell them to cover their shame and mary chestnut says all of these men act as if they are the picture of marital mm-hmm. you know perfection and if but mary meantime, chestnut is saying this right mary you Chestnut's know it's bad about it. she is not a she's not a unionist she's a confederate woman yeah. and she's still but the- she calls men out <laughs> yes. for their crap because they are using these women 
behind the backs of their wives, typically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's why she's mad. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah. She's not a saint. I'm not excusing right. yeah. anything that Mary Chestnut's done. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, if she thinks it's bad, it's bad. So it was um, awful. The, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it, we're, we're really laying it on thick right now, but I think that's that's really just to um, drive home this point of like this is why we are being so harsh. I want to um, point out another change mm-hmm. that happens with the character of Mister Garlington, who's the one who's reporting Nelson. Oh yeah. On page 68, coming mm-hmm. to the end of our reading, Mr. Garlington and his wife visited today. They say the Yankees oh. are different creatures than we are and that they do not worship the same Lord. We are, Mr. Garlington says, like oil and water and will not mix. It is best, he says, to go our separate ways. That is the Lord's will. And it brought up the quote to me, those who can make you believe impossibilities can make you commit atrocities. Mr. Garlington is trying to create northern people as being inhuman, not monsters, not Mm -hmm. like us. And by stripping them of that humanity, it makes it easier to hurt them. Mm -hmm. And this is a political tactic that is still regularly used Yeah, it's it's tribalism, it's nationalism, it's... Whatever but you want to call it. that same idea, mm-hmm. if they can make you believe something that's impossible, that these people yeah. are not people, yeah. it's easier to kill them. And I'm not saying, like, we're not saying this out of any kind of, like, oh, well, we're from the North, so we're better than you. Like, this no, is not... No, just that it still happens like, today. This still happens today. It happens in the North, too. Absolutely. There are racist people up North. Like, the... one happens of the, in the Midwest. The One of the main um, ideas in um, Stamped from the Beginning was that... The, there should be this idea that no group, you you can't judge any group of people as wholly good or wholly bad. You know, every, you have to recognize that at, in each group of people, there are good people, there are bad people, there are medium people. Yep. And that is inherent in part of recognizing everyone's humanity. Which is why um, I go round and round with myself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I get really frustrated and I'm like, oh, I hope she's an orphan. And yeah, yet, we're again, not. That's oh, not okay. <laughs> yeah, we're not all the way good either. Exactly. Um, but I think we are just we we're frustrated because we are given this um, story and we're given this character with very little um, outside or, or or inside pushback to these this kind of worldview. Yep. And I think. But, you know, can I can... give you the most sickening example? Yeah. I'm on page 69. Okay. Two entries. One of our enslaved people, a little girl named Cinda, has been oh, taken yeah. violently ill with scarlet fever. Immediate next entry. Cinda died today. Mm-hmm. The moonlight last night reminded me of Tally at the night we met at Aunt's <laughs> Caroline's. <laughs> So yeah. casual about a child in your care yeah. dying, but the yeah. moon reminded me of my boyfriend. Yeah. <sighs> well, okay, and then on page 72, um, bless our enslaved people, for yep. they are very faithful. Everyone is complaining about their enslaved people, although I cannot see much change in ours. They still appear to me to be cheerful, loyal, and well-behaved. Um 
And I, that's when I wrote, I hope they revote, revolt and kill everyone. And that's uh, not my best thing that I've said. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we are, I am... Ex- we're both Hellcats, that's fine. We've, we've, we've been very frustrated at, at the people in this book. Um, I guess the question you could say is, you know, should this book exist? That's certainly my question, is like, why does this story need to be told? I think if I'm going to view it charitably, I would say that this is a good example and this is a good um, avenue into reading critically, into uh, and and like yeah, you can laugh at that and I, I could be saying that facetiously, but like this uh, this is actually a very good skill to develop as um, a historian, um, but also as just a person, it, which is to read something you know this is a fictional account but this is supposed to represent a primary source which is something that you know is a person's perspective and a a really good skill to develop in all things that you read not just this specific case is to look for things like bias uh, where you're looking to identify this person's worldview. Where, how did they grow up? How do they view the world around them? How are they taught to treat other people? How are, they, how are they taught to treat people that are different than them? And how do they talk about those people? If something happens, you know, how are they going to describe it? And, and what are they going to leave out? And what are they going to include? Those are all very important skills to learn as you go through the world, reading the news, you know, reading people's letters and diaries, um, doing historical research, but also just, you know, reading people's posts on the internet. You know, we're always going to always keep in mind that everyone has their own perspective, their own biases, their own worldview. And I think this is, you know, to really get a good lesson in that is to read a wildly different worldview. (laughs) And, And I think hopefully, thankfully, this for us now uh, we are in a very different time and a very different, you know, way of thinking about the world and others than, than you know, a southern rich girl <laughs> in the Civil War. And so, I if we I'm going to have the opportunity to get many yeah. more points of view that she yeah. will never have been a, allowed to see. Right. Sure. But I, I, I think you know the the use I see in this book is is teaching people, you know, this is what a different perspective right. looks like. Uh, <laughs> and I really hope. That if uh, parents, if you are, you know, reading this with your kids, that you're asking them questions about this. Um, and or if you see your kids reading this on their own, you know, you, you ask the there's ways you can engage kids on books like this. That's not just like this is bad. You shouldn't be reading it. But it's like, what do you think about this? When yeah. she said this, you know, how did that make you feel like? How do you think she's treating these people? Is that OK? Like, you know, what's going on with that? One of the best things that I ever learned how to do was set a standard for people's behavior. Mm-hmm. And like my parents helped me figure out that some things were OK and some things weren't. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I was the only Democrat in our town. <laughs> I mean, my parents, uh, our family. Yeah. Um, everybody else was I don't know, red as China, but not like, but not quite like China. (laughs) Right. So my parents helped me decide what was important. Uh Right. So like, what is, if somebody doesn't believe, for example, that other people are allowed to love whoever they want, is that somebody you want to be friends with? Hmm. And so they helped me kind of establish a standard for what is acceptable behavior and what, what is our moral code? Yeah. And I think 
that's good parenting. Yeah. I think that if we let other people speak for us in society, we can get off track with what is okay and what Mm -hmm. isn't okay. Um, So, yeah, definitely parents do active parenting. Mm -hmm. uh, Talk about these other perspectives. I would say this is a book I definitely think uh, should have some accompanying discussion. Yeah. I don't think I'm well, not saying Civil War I'm not saying so cancel this book, burn it, never let your kids read it. But I'm saying if you do I mean, want to read it with your kids, have a discussion with them yeah. uh, for sure. I think that's absolutely <laughs> fair. And look at look at us two childless nobodies. Yeah, talk to your telling children people how to be parents. <laughs> the gall. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's I, that's the center of the book. We are at the halfway point. Yeah. Let's get together to talk about the other half soon yeah. um, so that we can be done with this trash. I, I, I hope that this hasn't felt like too much of a downer. Um, My gosh, please watch the Civil please War Please watch. If you, it's, a, it's a really... It is a good hour. It's good a good nine hours. Powerful, powerful nine hours of documentary film. Uh, you get to see some real great people. So Shelby Foote is a is a national treasure. I think you can also really enjoy the photography. Yeah. The camera was a brand new piece of technology for oh, this. Oh, we war. haven't even talked about Civil War battlefield photography. We'll save that for next Matthew time. Matthew Brady. Um, but yeah, there's some really great sources, primary photographic sources, yeah. um, music is great all around highly recommend highly recommend and it gives you a lot of great nuances on all sides yeah it really is it represents everybody fairly well ken burns please sponsor us right oh my god (laughs) ken burns br that's our our primary source daddy number one wreck um okay so (laughs) we're just gonna breeze right past that all right (laughs) all right well um it's Storming something it's fierce, storming. and my butt hurts, and I, w- I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. I, so. we, we've let's wrap this up. It's been swell. Uh, keep reading. Be the main character. I don't know. I'm we off haven't... like a prom dress. Talk to you later. <sighs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs>